This is Continuum Drag, a weekly podcast revisiting television sci-fi, fantasy, and everything in between. This week, Kolchak the Night Stalker, episodes one and two. If by chance you happen to be in the Windy City between May 28th and June 2nd of this year, you would have had very good reason to be terrified. During this period, Chicago was being stalked by a horror so frightening, so fascinating, that it ranks with the great mysteries of all times. It's been the fictional subject of novels, plays, films, even an opera. Now, here are the true facts. Welcome to Continuum Drag, the podcast wearing tennis shoes and a $2 hat. (laughs) I'm Luke, here with my co-host Jordan. What's real, Jordan? What's real? You are sitting on your brains. Remember that line? (laughs) I like that as an insult. I'm going to use it from now on. You're sitting on your brains. That's right. Well, this week we're starting a new series. Uh, we're watching Kolchak, the Night Stalker. Mm-hmm. And I mean, Jordan, I, I knew a little, like I knew it in, I didn't know the show, but I knew like, I knew its name and it, yeah. that it existed. But that I, I realized coming into it, I maybe thought it was a detective show. I did not know it was a reporter show. Yeah, I didn't either. I thought it was going to be sort of like a hard-boiled detective show uh, from the 70s representing the 30s or whatever but it's not really it's sort of this slightly anachronistic 1970s um investigative reporter monster of the week show it's really fun yeah it's it's interesting actually because we had discussed doing it uh during our during our like little three-month stop down we were talking about what what sort of longer series to do and this one had uh, ended up winning the pile Mm -hmm. and um there were two tv movies that came up before the series that's right and we decided not to watch those, but uh, during that three months when I had all that downtime, I did watch both TV oh, movies. Oh, did you? So I, I know all the backstory now. <laughs> now, let me ask you, uh, because I haven't watched them, does it color or illustrate things better having watched those movies? I mean, here's what I would say is in the original The Night Stalker and the follow-up to The Night Strangler, it does introduce basically a Kolchak and actually Vincenzo is in both of those as well. Mm. And uh, I don't think you're missing anything. I think I, I think they largely uh, largely cover it here for the most part. The one thing that I was excited about, Jordan, which you won't know about, is that uh, Night Stalker, the original film, took place in Las Vegas, and uh, it was very cool. Actually, they really use Las Vegas very well. Mm-hmm. Um, this is hunting, Chicago. He's hunting a vampire, and at the end of the episode, he gets run out of town. Or the end of the movie, he's run out of town. So in uh, in the next movie, he's in San Francisco where Vincenzo is also uh, like got a new newspaper job, and him and Vincenzo do another crime, and then both he and Vincenzo get run out of San Francisco. So I was just like, where are they going to end up in the TV show? I know I've seen them run out of two cities now. So despite their slightly combative relationship, they're enough of a team that they just go from city to city together. Like anytime well, Vincenzo it- gets a job, he's like, hey, this guy's coming with me. Well, basically, at the end of Night Stalker. Vincenzo didn't go with him, but they happened to bump into each other in San Francisco, and Vincenzo felt so bad for Kolchak, he gave him another job, and that really fucked up Vincenzo's life, and now they're stuck together. Right. They're a funny team. You don't get to see it as much in these two episodes, I don't think, but they are kind of a funny, like, newspaper editor-reporter team. It's it's very much like a put-upon, like, police chief in a Mm -hmm. lot of ways. Yeah, yeah. That's that's a good way of putting it. That's very similar to what this is. It's a, a Kolchak's a reporter- who sort of always goes off his assignment so he can investigate what he wants to. He's a loose cannon. Yeah, he's a loose cannon, and he basically always is investigating some sort of paranormal-type monster 
fantastical element is what he's always kind of looking for. And, and Vincenzo's like, cool, Jack, I told you to do a story on staples or whatever it is, you know? I find it very funny that uh, Vincenzo's always having to uh, bail him out for various charges that have been put against him mm-hmm. by the police. Yeah, it is funny because it's very much that sort of um, cop show that you're used to, but it's it just they've just replaced it with reporters. Yeah, it's kind of in it, it takes a weird change that way because like they really hate the cops in this show, so it's quite clear they would never use a cop as a lead character. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Anyway, um, so this aired on ABC between September 14th, 1974, and March 28th, 1978. Um, and Jordan, would you like to know what was happening in the world? I would love to know what's happening in the world at this time during Kolchak. So uh, I got I got a few things for you because we this is a longer show, so a few more things happened. Um, one of the things that happened is something I cannot read in my own handwriting, which is amazing. Are you reading like a murder note from uh, the Zodiac Killer or something? You can't figure it out? Yeah, here's what I wrote down. January 6th, 1975. Wall of Fortune. Pregress. <laughs> oh, I know what it is now. <laughs> it says July, January 6th, 1975. Wheel of Fortune premieres. <laughs> I see. I see. Hey, this is a dumb question, and maybe you don't know this. Was Pat Sajak still the host then? I don't think he was. That's what my other note says. That's how I figured it out. It was Chuck Woolery. Oh, it was Chuck Woolery. Yeah, yeah, I know who Chuck Woolery is. Yeah, it was a daytime show when it started. Yeah, yeah, he's dead now, I'm pretty sure. Uh, Probably. Uh, January 15th, 1975, Space Mountain opens at Disney World. Hmm, I've never been to Disney World, have you? I have. As a child, it was fun. Yeah. Space Mountain's a good ride. You just go in and out of Mountain, I'm assuming? Uh, it's What it is, is it's uh, it's all basically in pitch black, so you have no idea what's happening. So it's a lot of fun. I see. Well, good for the, good for the those kids in the 70s. February 4th, 1975. The first successful earthquake is predicted. Or predicted earthquake. Something like that. Right. They first they have first be able to predict successively an earthquake. Right. Yes, absolutely. Oh, interesting. It and has March- it doesn't stop earthquakes, though. It doesn't help us. We're just like, oh, I mean, you just you can prepare maybe for know it, they're coming. I mean, I'll tell you, I'll tell you the first predicted earthquake. Uh, still, more than two thousand people died, so it wasn't very helpful. <laughs> well, you know what? It could have been three thousand. You know, you gotta be, you gotta that think positive. You go. And March fourth, nineteen seventy five, Charlie Chaplin is knighted. Hmm. And he's uh, and he's still at that point. I don't think he's ever allowed to come back to the the states. Yes, I believe that is during his exile. Yeah. Well, I mean, he never came back. So it, every, everything post nineteen, I don't know. 50 or something is his exile <laughs> he was just out in uh, europe making babies and you want you want to hear some notable births during culture oh yes please uh jimmy fallon uh, nelly sure how okay leonardo dicaprio oh yeah he's always older than I, I i assume i think because of his face sarah paulson hmm sarah paulson bradley cooper see does bradley cooper and leonardo dicaprio seem the same age maybe if i actually saw them together what about this next person drew barrymore <laughs> See, there you go. That's weird. Drew Barrymore seems like she's younger than me. Here's another one for you. Jolene uh, Balak, who played T'Pol on um, uh, Oh, yeah, Enterprise. yeah. Yeah, yeah. The, the sexy Vulcan who they always made have emotions. And then uh, I think this is half of... Um, I give her the name of the band now. Uh, well, this is going well. Uh, Will I Am and Fergie. Oh, yeah. From uh, the uh, Black, Black Eyed Peas. Yeah, yeah. They're like, they're like a week apart. Look at that. It was it it, fun birthdays together. It was Yeah, they probably do. They probably have a lot of parties together, and then they force everyone to listen to their music at the party. Uh, and there's one notable death for you, Jordan. Oh, great. Who was it? Uh, Ed Sullivan. Oh, Ed Sullivan. Interesting. He he died in the 70s, huh? I don't know. That's what Wikipedia told me. Huh. I mean, and, I mean, it, uh, it makes as much sense as anything. <laughs> and finally, we have watched two 
other things for the podcast during uh, during Kolchak. One was a series, one was a TV movie. Do you think you can uh, make a guess? Gemini Man is the series? Nope. Oof. Uh, Want to do the TV movie? I don't know. The Astronaut. Oh, uh, no. Uh, wrong on both counts. Yeah, what were they? Uh, the TV series was Planet of the Apes. Oh, yeah, okay. Which premiered the day before Kolchak. What a weird time on TV, huh? Absolutely. And then the uh, TV movie we watched was Search for the Gods. Oh, Search for the Gods. I forgot about it. That wasn't bad. That was, was that Kurt, Kurt Russell? Was that who that was? It was yeah, a young Kurt Russell. That's right. Yeah, yeah. I t- I've said this before, but this was a really interesting age of television. I know people talk about like the golden age of television as maybe right now or, you know, 10 years ago, whatever. But what a weird time in the 70s where you could have such disparate shows on the air. It's just like they were like, let's just try anything. Like no one, anyone making these executive decisions had no like idea other than let's let's just try it maybe it'll work yeah it, i mean it's very funny i was when i realized planet of the apes was the same time as kolchak and like the like day they were day like you watch one on friday and the other on saturday i was just like very different shows in a lot of ways not only very different shows but different styles different tones like you wouldn't wouldn't be that surprised if you had said they aired 10 years apart right because they're yeah. they're just so drastically different so i don't know it's just a really interesting time for tv so it's too bad that ed sullivan died and didn't get to appreciate it you know he didn't, he didn't get it he did not get to appreciate <laughs> any of it all right here's the imdb summary for episode one the ripper carl may be up against the original jack the ripper a black caped bullet resistant super superhuman killer of women yeah i think that's i mean that's all it doesn't give you anything other than the basic premise but i think that that's pretty much it get you in there get you in there I'll tell you one thing, Jordan. When this started, because I watch TV movies, but there's obviously no opening credit sequence on a TV movie. This TV, this t- this TV series' opening credits is uh, is something to behold. I don't know how you actually felt about it, if you liked it or not. I really liked it because what you get is right off the bat, you get Kolchak walking his office. He's making a cup of coffee and he's whistling. And it's wi- a really upbeat w- song. He's whistling. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. He's just like whistling, and then the the whistling. It's like turns- you're about to watch Mary Tyler Moore. That's right. That's right. And you're like, what is this show? And then they do a turn where the whistling blends and turns into the actual theme, which is a lot. It's still kind of upbeat, but it's a little bit spookier. And then it gets, you, like it just keeps getting darker and more yeah. oppressive the music. And then you get a lot of him like typing, and it's uh, it's that sort of stuff. But what I like is at the very end is just a shot of him turning very quickly and then fading out of his face. And I always, I it makes me laugh the last, the last two episodes. I mean, it's a great kind of thing because yeah, that's it. He sits down, and starts typing. The upbeat music starts getting like progressively darker and as it does like the actual lighting in the scene mm-hmm. of, which is his like his, the newspaper office they start like dimming the lighting until the all the all the background just falls away and he's just in a pitch black void typing as hard as he can and then that's it it just like cuts to him like as if there's a sound over his shoulder and i'm like this is the craziest opening sequence to the show i quite liked it it wasn't i don't think i've ever seen anything done in quite that style so i really enjoyed it yeah it, it, had, a, it had a very nice style to it um but the episode opens up with, uh, as I think all these episodes will, Kolchak is kind of narrating the story he's writing, I suppose. Mm-hmm. And uh, as it starts off, he's talking about how uh, there's a, a murder has happened at the uh, Werner's Burm- Boom Boom Room in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Yeah, it's, a, it's like a dance club. Yeah, there's like go-go dancers there. And I, I really enjoyed this because basically a go-go dancer gets off the stage and then Jack the Ripper just walks into the dressing room, murders her, steps out, and the bartender's like, what the fuck did you just do? And literally the bartender and every patron in the entire club goes after Jack the Ripper and he just beats them all back and makes his way to the door. You know, it's funny. There was a couple things about it that I liked. One, I liked the way they kept the Ripper in this scene and in subsequent scenes 
always unseen and in the dark. Mm-hmm. So no matter what the scene is, he's hard to kind of pinpoint. And I thought the way they directed it and the way they blocked it really worked for that. And I also like that they set up right out the bat that he has this supernatural power because you right off the bat, you know, like there's 20 people that tried fighting him and he it's, pushes them off without much problems. So you're like, oh, this is going to be quite the adversary. It's not as well done by any means, but I was just like, this is kind of like the scene in Old Boy when he just fights like 17 guys in a hallway. He just steps out and there's just like a million people and they're like, they, they come after him and the Ripper just like punches his way slowly because it's not like he's overwhelming them exactly but he's always has the upper hand he's just like fights his way across the bar and then out the door yeah the the sense i I got through all these fights because there's going to be a few of these is that this is more of a nuisance for him people are just in his way yeah he he doesn't mind murdering a woman in in front of a million people because he'll just punch his way out yeah yeah exactly and then of course three days later the ripper kills another woman after leaping off the top of a fire escape yeah, he kills her with a sword. I think the first one, he just bopped her on the head. But this one, he kills her with a sword. But yeah, another thing I had to say that I liked is there's a couple scenes, and this is the first one of him jumping off buildings. And I know it's some wire work. Again, I thought very well done. That looks good. Like, it's very effective. Like, he leaps off the top of a building, lands. That sword comes out of his cane. He pulls the sword out of his cane, and then he goes after this woman. Uh, my favorite part, though, is Kolchak's narration at this point is uh, he's talking about this woman who's about to die. And he says, Debbie wanted to be successful. She should have settled for being alive. <laughs> he's, he, you know, when he's ready, he's right. I will give it this. There's a lot of voiceover in this, but the it has a certain there's a certain level of good writing involved in the voiceover work. Like it is kind of hard boiled and fun, and like it's never. I mean, it's never necessary, but it's also never kind of irritating. We watched a show previously to this, which is Super Train, similar time period you know, roughly. And there was an episode, remember they did an episode that was sort of kind of do this like voiceover. Yeah, uh, superstar sort of with thing? the uh, director of Adam Sandler's films. And it couldn't have fallen flatter, right? It just didn't work at all. And on this, you know, on paper, this is the exact same thing. And this just works better. And what it is, is it's just written better. The di- the dialogue is significantly better. Like that's one of the things I think that sparkles on this show is I'm just like, the dialogue on this show just kind of works. Yeah. I mean, it probably also helps that uh, with Davin, uh, Darren McGavin. Yeah, Darren McGavin, who plays Kolchak, is he's really, really good. And not only is he really, he's really watchable. He just is one of those people you're like, it's that we've talked about it a bunch of times where TV shows and especially of this era have a tendency to give you a lead. Sometimes just like a handsome white guy who you're just supposed to like just because. And it doesn't always work that well because the writing doesn't back it up. On this show, at least for me, as soon as he walked on the screen and started, you know, first couple lines, I was like, oh, I like him. I like Kolchak. He he is doing an amazing job. Like, he's chewing scenery. He's extremely watchable. Like, it's a big part of the draw of the show, I think. I'm just like, this is, every line he delivers is just like, just full of full of uh, this, like, weird energy that he brings. And you know what? who the character is right away. Like, th- you don't have to do much. It's... Everything is working for him. It's his hat. It's his mannerisms. It's the dialogue. It just works. Yeah. I mean, you can see why they did two TV movies about him and we're just like, let's just keep going. Like This actor can just like bring this character yeah. to life in a half a second. Mm-hmm. Anyway, there. this brings the Ripper to Chicago where he kills a third victim. Um, this time a woman carrying a, a very large teddy bear down the street. Uh, and not <laughs> yeah. only does she get murdered, but the teddy bear is decapitated as well. Yeah, I think it was just a way for them to be able to show the, the violence without really showing the violence. It's true. It, it was it was effective. It was a fun sequence where they, they cut and the teddy bear's head falls on the ground. You're like, oh, no. 
Yeah. And then we go to, um, which is going to be one of your major sets for the show, which was in the opening, which is the one room is like the newsroom. And and they're yes, called yes. INS, right? Independent News Service. That's them. That's the, that's the newspaper. And what you get is, I think uh, Vincenzo, his office is sort of off the main room and you go in there sometimes, but the main area is sort of just like your classic newsroom and right in the middle is the desk where Kolchak sits. And I think the next scene is when Vincenzo gives him sort of like busy work. Yeah, well, he gets in trouble because uh, I think as as is usual for for old Kolchak is he uh, he's pissed off the local officials by impersonating a police officer this time. Yeah, you get you get the sense it doesn't bother him to bend the rules to get the story he wants. Although I'm going to say this is something we can talk about maybe the end of this. Does he ever get to actually publish these wild stories? (laughs) Do I mean like I don't know if it's ever worth it because I'm like, where's this actually showing up? It is a good question. This time when he gets in trouble for impersonating a police officer, his punishment is to take over, uh, I guess, the uh, writer of the Dear Emily advice column is on vacation. So uh, he's now put in charge of uh, answering all the letters that come into the advice column. Yeah, and it's a little bit of comedy where, you know, you're like, oh, no, how much, how many letters are going to be? And it's sort of like that scene from Miracle on 34th Street. Like, there's just so many letters that get poured on his desk that you just know the whole point of this is to just keep him busy so he's out of trouble. Yeah, this is this little side project for him to do. But on his way home that day from work, because he has a, uh, I guess, a police scanner in his car, he picks up he picks up the call about a, a murdered woman and the homicide suspect being chased by the police. So Kolchak just pulls up to the scene of the uh, police chase, and it is like insane. Like the Ripper is running from rooftop to rooftop. Police are chasing him. The police are just firing hundreds of bullets. Well, that's that's what I thought it was going to be. I thought it was going to be they're going to shoot him and he disappears or they shoot him and they find the body and he's dead and he comes back again. But it's not. It's just like it doesn't bother him. He gets shot like 50 times. He stops 50 times. He's fighting police on these. Like you're looking at it from the street level. So you're just seeing this like fight on a rooftop. And then at some point, the Ripper just leaps off the roof into another pile of cops, picks one up WWE style and <laughs> smashes him into the windshield of a car. And then he like does a f- flying flip over Kolchak and runs off. And Kolchak, uh, it's something I've noticed in in both episodes. And I don't know if they're in the TV movies, but he has this cool little um, uh, mm-hmm. little camera. I don't know if I've ever seen this like uh, style of camera before. It's very um, like almost very flat and long. Anyways, I guess it's like whatever the hip portable camera was at in 1975. Um, but he's there just trying to get photos all the time. It's a lot of uh, things where he'll take photos, then eventually his camera gets smashed. I think in both episodes, his camera gets smashed at some point. <laughs> a lot of his stuff gets smashed, I think. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Kolchak's like, whoa, this is a crazy story. And he's going he's gonna to go write it up for Vincenzo. But um, turns out Vincenzo's already assigned another reporter to this story. And uh, he has to keep working on the Dear Emily's. He has Ron Updike. Ron Updike. I hope this character sticks around because I like him because uh, Kolchak calls him, hey, Uptight, what's up? Yeah, I love it. And it, it's, it's one of those where, like, you know, you get that there. Uh, there's a some sort of f- somewhat friendly rivalry that, you know, Updike is the very proper do things by the book straight laced his he's a real weak need fop yeah that's right right and, and and it plays them off each other and so he always calls him uptight and he's like don't call me uptight you know and it's like <laughs> oh I, I get this dynamic right away it's a real it's like a real wkrp relationship or something. yeah that's like, right this would be a sitcom in this office otherwise yeah so so yeah so vincenzo uh gives updike the story about this murder instead of kolchak which i don't know if that's the best i mean he must know updike but it's like he's Clearly doesn't care that much about the story. Yeah, well, and obviously Kolchak's going to keep on the story anyway, because what kind of show would this be if he doesn't? He ends up going to a police pr- police com- uh, a police press conference 
where uh, he learns via another reporter, Jane Plum, that uh, she received a letter from the Ripper that had details the police never released to the public, including a poem that, uh, that said, and now a pretty girl will die so Jack can have his kidney pie. Mm-hmm. And uh, this, is, this, this, this revelation is that uh, the Ripper has been cutting out the kidneys of the people he murders. And, and we're going we're gonna to have spent a few scenes with this Jane Plum. And, and Luke, what is the one thing or the one way people describe Jane Plum in this episode? It's... I will say this is the one thing that I was like a little difficult in these is uh, there's a real distaste for women on this show. <laughs> it's a weird thing that comes out on this show, which is Jane Plum is just she's just a she's a lady. She's a normal looking lady. I know that was crazy. Like the whole intro to her is a monologue, a, a VO by Kolchak describing just how overweight she is. And then they cut to her and she's just like a normal lady. I'm like, what are you talking yeah, about? And so and they like refer to her as fat over and over and over. And it's sort of like some sort of gag that maybe worked then but maybe didn't i don't know it just it falls flat and it's it's a bit of a, a shame on this show you're just like guys you don't need to do this it is too bad too because they like they can almost stick the landing because it's so because the whole narration that kolchak's giving you is kind of derogatory to this poor woman but also acknowledging he's like but we're we're colleagues and like we both trust each other and like so she'll tell me what's really going on and then you cut to her and she's like kolchak i don't trust you at all what are you talking about and i think there's like the problem is they're trying to like establish like a fun rapport between them but they've put such a taint to it and yeah. this like physical description of her that like it kind of ruins the fun report, which could have been rival reporters. I agree. Yeah. But it's just yeah, it is she is great though. The the actress playing Jane Plum, I could have had her as a series regular too. She was very funny and very interesting. And like her and Kolchak had actually a great dynamic when the characters were actually in a I scene thought together. so too. I thought she's not in the second episode, but I thought it was gonna be the same thing. I thought it was building the world a little bit. You're gonna meet these other characters, and I was like, Oh, this is great. She's like a kind of a uh version of him on for some other paper, but that's not that's not really what they want. Yeah, it is too bad because it is the thing where it's just like they taint the introduction, and then when you see them together, I'm like, Oh, these two have great chemistry together, and this is like a fun scene of two just like reporters trying to dig up a story like the whole thing is he's she's telling him about the about the kidney thing and he's and she's just apparently work the paper she works at it's far more sensationalist and perhaps where kolchak should be working mm-hmm. but she's just like kolchak listen i'll tell you what happened there but you gotta like help me come up with like a great angle for me to pitch this next story to so he tells she tells him about the kidneys and how it's very similar to the original ripper and then kid and kolchak's just like all right all right all right how about this for your headline cannibalism and it cuts back to Jane Plum, and she's just like, "Yes, that is amazing <laughs> cannibalism." Yeah, I didn't, I didn't quite get how that was a fair trade, but uh, she feels like it is. So if she was happy with it, yeah, it wasn't really a fair trade at all. But it was, it was a fun sequence between the two of them, where I was just like, I was like really digging those two characters together. Oh, and I just wanted to mention a, a couple quick things that we didn't mention. Kolchak always wears a straw hat. I don't know if we said that. That's kind of his character's look, which I liked. And he also drives a really cool yellow Ford Mustang convertible. I just thought it was just a, a weird thing and I and I enjoyed that. He's he's got a great costume. Like it stand like you would never mistake Kolchak. If you someone was if now if you saw Kolchak someone dressed up as him for Halloween, you'd know exactly who he was. Yeah. Those tennis shoes, that straw hat, like his little his little like uh, rumpled suit. Hey, do you want to go uh uh we'll go to a Halloween party, Luke? You can be Kolchak and I'll be uh, Updike. Sure, sure. Or I can be Vincenzo, you could be <laughs> Either way, or I'll 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 be a uh, Jane Plum, whatever. Yeah, I'll be Vincenzo. You'll be Jane Plum. Everyone will know exactly who we are. <laughs> it's, we've just ruined the whole idea. The whole idea is everyone only knows <laughs> Kolchak, not these other characters. Anyway, um, the Ripper is going to strike again now. Uh, this time in, which I, this was interesting to me, a piece of a piece of trivia I had no idea, in, in The Loop, 
which is Chicago's Times Square, apparently. Mm-hmm. Which I think at this time, Times Square was very seedy and uh, touristy, which I think is the case here as well, because he's going to strike at this massage parlor. Yeah. And uh, after he kills a woman at the massage parlor, um, Updike happens to beat Kolchak to the scene, and he gets he gets the, allowed in to like view the crime scene to write about it. And when Kolchak arrives, the since the police don't really like him, they won't let Kolchak in because there's already an INS reporter inside. So uh, Kolchak instead ends up noticing a nearby fender bender. A car has had a little bit of an accident, and when he wanders over, the person explains that uh, his car hit Jack the Ripper as he ran away. And Jack the Ripper was fine, and the front of this car is just, like, destroyed. Yeah. It's, again, they're just sort of uh, seeding how powerful this this person is. Yes, yes. Um, and Kolchak's, at the same time, he's been hearing about this. He's been looking into kind of uh, Jack the Ripper copycast throughout history. And it's always five women. It's always sort of they, they fall into a certain socioeconomic area. And he's just like... Hey, it seems to me that every time the, a, a new copycat ripper is caught, he's either executed or, as in New York one time, he, like, breaks free the police and escapes. And basically, he starts to suspect that there's not there's no copycats. It's always the same Jack the Ripper throughout time causing these crimes. Yeah, and so this, this will conflict with the other theory, which is, I think, in the next scene or two, he goes to dinner with Jane again, and they mm-hmm. talk, and she... She also thinks it's, you know, a Ripper type character, but she thinks it's um, what she calls contagious psychosis, which is uh, a psychiatric syndrome in which symptoms of a delusional belief and sometimes hallucinations are transmitted from one individual to another. So basically, she thinks that over time, it's not that the Ripper is, you know, remanifesting or reincarnating. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's that people have been, you know, there's something in the social osmosis that is making people, you know, think they are part of this and thus they are the Ripper in that way. That's a really yes, terrible yes. way of explaining it, but that's basically her theory. Yeah, exactly. Um, I did like this, though, because uh, they discussed one time the Ripper was caught and he was hung by the neck in Germany. And uh, Kolchak's just like, I never got a good photo of him, but I think one of my photos might have shown some uh, rope burn on his neck, maybe. I don't know. I could, it's hard to see. <laughs> Right. And oh, and we also learn there, I think it's here where he, they, they say that every time a, a Ripper or the Ripper appears, five women are killed, right? Yes. And so far, three women have been killed. So uh, Kolchak's theory is that there's he has two more and they have to catch him before two more women are killed. Is that there? Is and- that correct? That is, here's, I heard that same thing, but I was, I was writing up my notes here. I was doing the math on that and I was just like, boom, boom, room in Wisconsin, second woman in Wisconsin. Then he kills the woman with a teddy bear. That's three. And then he kills the woman in the massage parlor. That's four at this point. So I think there's some confusion in the, in the movie, the show itself. Right. Because I realized that was the right moment. I was like, no, no, four are dead. And there's only one more to go. And <laughs> I'm, right. I'm going to also assume he at least killed at least one police officer. Does he, he doesn't count any of those? Those, those, those don't count. Cops don't count. <laughs> Collateral damage. Uh, he's, he's like, that. I, it's, I, only, I only count the ones I really want. But yes, the idea is that there's, there's more victims to come and that in the original Jack the Ripper case, after the last murder, Jack would go, the Ripper would go back to the same location, kill someone again at that spot. So this is basically, Kolchak's like, I've got an idea. I'm going to go back to the massage parlor. And I'm going to uh, see if I can catch the Ripper myself. And I like it. He goes to the massage parlor and he orders a number seven. Yeah. <laughs> did you did you get did you see what what the sign was? The number you know what's seven funny? Was? I tried seeing, it, but I couldn't quite I couldn't quite read the sign of what the options were. What was the number seven? I went frame by frame so I could get it. Good for you. Uh, he ordered a hot oil vibrator and towel. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Probably a nice massage. Probably. Uh, this maybe I'm I'm naive. 
was this place is this place like on the up and up because the ladies are dressed sort of um seductively is not the word but they're in like little little no, this, outfits. i mean this is this is more of a, a, a sex work style okay parlor i think that's that, why i wasn't I sure i wasn't sure if it was just a 70s thing or this was the impression was supposed to be that like you know, uh, untoward things are happening. I think the idea is because that's what uh, happened with uh, Jack Thorpe originally. I think these are all supposed to be sex workers. I mean, it's hard to tell. Some of them seem like they might. Some of them, they imply heavily they are that she's killed. Although there's one woman who, the, I believe the woman he said who should have settled for being alive. When I saw her, she she was leaving a business called um, uh, Miss, Physi- Miss Physiotherapy. And I'm just like, I don't know what that means. <laughs> Either way, it's like it's a it's a massage parlor. He goes in, and you get a a bit of a light comedy kind of scene where uh, yeah. he's he's trying to uh, let the lady know that he doesn't really want a massage. What he wants is to sort of hide out and watch to see if any scary people come. A la yeah, can, the rapper, can, can I watch? Can I hide and watch your next client yeah. with my camera? And, and she like... thinks he's being a real creep because he's yeah being some sort of voyeur. And what ends up happening is through this sort of like them both talking and thinking the other one means the other thing uh she reveals that she's an undercover cop and arrest him yeah yeah. well they know who kolchak is so they're immediately just like listen kolchak you're under arrest for being a pervert (laughs) yeah and he does get arrested yeah it's great another cop comes in they put him in handcuffs they toss him in the back of a cop car and as they're doing that the ripper does show up at the massage parlor he goes in and before he can kill anyone the cops spring out to try to get him but of course since he's like this like superhuman punch machine he punches his way out of the massage parlor and all the cops chase him again it's another rooftop chase because Kolchak's in the back of one of these squad cars he gets the go along for the ride mm-hmm. and it, it, it's sort of very similar like it's a chase they, they're shooting this this ripper he can't be killed and then the ripper like tries to jump over an electric fence uh, and that's the thing that kind of like knocks the wind out of his sails and they're able to catch him yeah and I, I it was it was shot in a weird way that i didn't realize he had actually been caught because you don't see him get grabbed and the reason you don't get him see him get grabbed so you can't, can actually see his face or whatever at this point but yes he's now in they're both essentially in jail yes yes well this is where vincenzo comes down to the station to bail kolchak out as usual and of course kolchak is like i love it he's just like kolchak's like sounds like an insane human being he's like railing against the captain about ignoring like all the signs pointing toward this ripper being like some supernatural he's just like did you not see him jump off the roof what do you mean yeah it's his very much um uh molder from the x-files kind of scene that that's the that's the character you know he's, he's like can't you see that what's in front of your eyes it's this incredibly fantastical thing yeah, and the captain's like, nah, it's fine. He's totally fine. We've got him locked up in a maximum our maximum security cell. He's not going anywhere. Cut to Jack the Ripper literally ripping a steel door out of a wall. I actually think he punches it out is what he does. He hits it because the door goes outwards. So I think he yeah, hits it so many times good. that he... But what is funny, it's not... It's They've put him into like like sort of a classic jail door. Like it's a steel door and it has got a little window with bars on it. But he hits it so many times that it's not the door that comes out. It's the actual stone around the door gets knocked off so it's like wow that's that's impressive yeah it definitely it it's for a show that's like clearly not like a high budget show i mean it's not low budget either like it's a pretty decent budget but like they don't have the effects we have today they really sell the idea that Mm -hmm. like knocking this door out is a herculean task yeah yeah it's like something like the incredible hulk would do or something Exactly. Kolchak's bailed out. And now he's trying to get a hold of uh, the reporter Jane Plum because she had in her in her article, she had put out a, a a call to the Ripper to like to get a hold of her and she'd do an interview with him. And he knows she's been like setting up interviews with just like any any unbalanced human being claiming to be the Ripper. So he's a little worried about her. Yeah. 
no one knows where she is. So he calls her mother and her mother happens to mention she went to a meeting in Wilton Park. And this triggers a memory for Kolchak. Back at the beginning of the episode when he's reading those Dear Emily lady letters, a woman had written in from uh, Wilton Park complaining about her well-dressed her well-dressed neighbor in a cape who was really creepy and seemed to have x-ray eyes that would make her sterile yeah so it's it's one of those things where it's very convenient that he had also read these letters but i was like well you know what they tied it all together pretty well that you know that it's at least they thread that he was reading these letters but yes he goes to see this lady who may have been made sterile by this guy's eyes yeah yeah she says an old woman in his house and she's like she's like oh yeah the uh, the house the ripper's house is just over there and so uh Kolchak is able to head over to the ripper's house which is jordan i don't know if you saw this trivia is the monster's house <laughs> i didn't see that yeah yes yeah, so, uh, the ripper lives in the monster's house apparently. oh that's funny it just it was just sitting on a lot huh? and what happens when he gets to this house is a very long borderline incoherent sequence it's funny because there's also another scene which i thought was weirdly unnecessary which is they have him go to the hardware store to pick up supplies well that's just it and he i was goes, just like just have in his car he goes to the monster's house he wanders around like throwing rocks at the windows to see if he can get any reaction is anyone inside he doesn't he then walks along the porch and his like foot goes through like he does it like a slapstick comedy sequences where his foot goes through boards in the, in the in the porch and he's like falling all over the place. He works his way back and at this point we know like it seems like the Ripper is afraid of electricity or worried about it. He finds the electrical box to this house and I'm just like, oh, so there's I assumed it meant there was no electricity, but what it, it's not what it means at all. He just means there is electricity at the house. So Kolchak gets in his car, drives to an all-night electrical supply store, <laughs> buys a whole bunch of, like, wiring and, like, the electrical gloves. Like, he buys, like, all the stuff to do, like, an electrician work. Hours must pass where he's doing this electrician work on this electrical box. I'm just like, what is he running these cables for? I, I assumed he was running power to the house, but we'll later find out he's actually running power out of the house. Yeah. Once he's, he does he, those He's setting work, up a trap is what he's doing. Uh, uh, incoherently setting up a trap. Once he does all this electrical work, which I, for me, like, must have taken hours, he then goes inside the house finally to look around, which there's actually a great sequence where he walks upstairs and there's, like, a kettle whistling and it's, like, this really unnerving noise inside. Mm-hmm. He finds the kettle. The Ripper comes home from, I have no idea where he was. The Ripper was just out, apparently. He left the kettle on when he went out. Well, it is funny because I thought the same thing because you would assume the Ripper would only really leave to go do murders, but I guess he also needs to get milk so he was just out (laughs) he was just just out and about (laughs) and kolchak's like oh no i better hide and there's like a a closet in the ripper's room that he's in and it's just got like a curtain over top of it basically so he goes and hides in the closet because there's nowhere else to hide he's freaking out he hides in the closet and the ripper comes in and it's very funny because the ripper is just like better hang up my hat he goes to the closet and the Ripper then proceeds to hang up his entire, like, his hat, his clo- his cloak, all everything he's wearing, but completely blindly. He never opens the closet. He just yeah. puts his hand in, gropes around to find a hanger, hangs up. So you can get these sequences of, like, Kolchak hiding and, like, watching a hand come in back in front of his face. Yeah. And the thing that made me laugh the hardest is he never opens this closet. Kolchak is never in danger of getting caught. But it's but for apparently it's so intense. It's so tense watching this man's hand grow up around this closet. Kolchak just screams apropos of like just gives himself away, falls out of the closet, <laughs> runs out of the room, falls off the second floor balcony banister because it's so rickety. He just falls down a floor. Yeah, I mean, I'll give them this. I think the whole point of him, uh, what well, was done is like a kind of broad comedy of him falling through um, uh, the porch, uh, the, the rickety porch. I think they were trying to establish that this house is 
not terribly livable like it's falling apart yeah but yeah, it is yeah. it is a kind of funny scene because when he runs away from the ripper who I, I should say we do get a look at his face at this point he's like a bearded he looks like a young young bearded <laughs> here, man he looks like a he looks like, for, he's like chris christopherson or something here was the trivia for that i saw an indb apparently that uh the 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 facial that the look of him is the exact description of the original jack the ripper from from like police reports of the time so they like just found a guy and like gave him the same like facial hair right that was their like that was their poll they're like right. oh he is the original right anyways you I would thought, never know he looked he just looked like a, a handsome bearded gentleman he and, looked very and, handsome yeah actually. so uh <laughs> so he uh, uh kolchak's running over the stairs and yeah does this like prat fall over the ban what i like though is he he breaks through the banister and hits the ground and it doesn't seem to bother him either i'm like Maybe in this world, people could just jump off ledges and stuff, and it doesn't. It doesn't yeah, he hurt really, them. he really takes that fall very, very gracefully. And it is, it is just like, and it's not bad necessarily, but it is a kind of this weird slapstick. Like he tries to get the front of the door, but the doorknob falls off. He runs over, trips over a couch. I think what and- it is is it's the the last act of the show, and I think they need to just up the energy. And so this is their way of doing it is there's running and like, it doesn't quite make sense, but I think they just want to, you've been waiting yeah. so long for something to happen. It's like, now we're just going to do a bunch of zany stuff. Just it's, yeah. it's entertaining. Well, he falls over a couch and whose body's on the couch, but Jane Plum, she's dead. Yeah. And you're like, Oh, what a bummer. Jane. And then she didn't even, she didn't even get favorite. a death scene, you know, she didn't even get to yeah, die. It's true. I know you never see her die. And then now uh, one of my favorite parts uh, from uh, that original super train episode uh, that we were talking about with the narration. Kolchak then just leaps through a window. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> a real classic way to get out of a building. He just like full body leaps through a window. You see that a lot in TV. Have you or has anyone you've ever known just gone through a plate glass window? Like I'm I've assuming, never been chased by the Ripper. I'm <laughs> Well, that is true. I'm assuming you don't end up looking too good at the end of it. You know? Yeah, it's not I would just assume like, it's a very bloody attempt. Yeah, I know. I know it's like sugar glass in TV, but like, come on, guys. At any rate, this whole this whole thing is for the Ripper to chase Kolchak. He chases him into the forest behind the house. Kolchak runs through a pond, and when he gets to the other side, the Ripper steps in the pond. And this is what Kolchak had been doing with all that electrical cable: is he was running a a, a live electrical line to this pond, and then when the Ripper gets in, he tosses it into the pool, and the Ripper just gets fried. Apparently, yeah. So he he like uh, Kevin McAllister home alone this thing. So what was weird about it is I actually didn't mind that he was like this sort of Jaws two end to the way to get rid of the Ripper because it makes sense he he, he they've he established getting, electricity yeah part. they were establishing that establishing that electricity was a problem but none of Kolchak's actions in the house indicated that he was setting the guy a up plan to chase of any him. sort yeah that 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 was what was weird that didn't like it didn't make quite make sense that's. That's what I mean. Like, that whole sequence where he does all that work, it's just, like, it's borderline incoherent because you have no idea what he's doing until the end. And you're like, was I supposed to think he was building a trap somehow? Because because what would have been interesting is he actually built a trap in the house. It doesn't work. And then when he's chasing him through some sort of coincidence or something, it's still he still ends up getting zapped in, in some way. That's how it should have done. And it almost is like, it's not like they didn't have time for it. Just don't have him go to the hardware store for 10 minutes. Oh, there was plenty. Yeah, the the end both dragged on for no reason. And ha- like it, not that it didn't work at times, but it was just like it went on for a long time and was didn't make a lot of sense. You're like, you could have definitely rejigged this, guys. Yeah, but anyways, so the Ripper gets defeated here. He gets electrocuted, and then we sort of cut cut to the office, and here he's narrating um, what happens. And what we find is that the police showed up. They didn't find anything in the pond, so his body just, is just clothes. Just it's clothes. All that's left is clothes. The and, house burned down. 
And and I like that Kolchak's getting charged with arson and mischief. Yes, yes. Uh, malicious mischief. Malicious mischief. Not the worst kind of mischief. Um, and yeah, they, because the house also burnt down, apparently destroying all the evidence, including Jane Plum's body, is gone. Now. Which, to, which, if you think about it, actually is really, really bad. Like Kolchak really screwed up. Yeah, 100%. And, like, basically he's just like, well, there's nothing to write about this story because it all ended up that every nothing, I have no evidence and there's no, no, no story anymore. And then it ends with him being like, the only thing left in the building was this 70-year-old shoe that has been out of style for so long that it must mean he was the original rapper. Yeah, it's, it's a shoe that uh, stopped being made 70 years ago. So you're like, oh, oh, his clothes also manifest just that one shoe survived right so so there you go but he ends up like it ends up with him just like yeah as you said like he scrunches up story and he's like well no story here and i was like what what did you do for the week then what what are you giving to vincenzo at uh, your deadline Uh, that's updike's problem that is (laughs) oh yeah it's not even his story i guess you're right I believe I believe at some point midway through this uh, update, uh, Vincenzo and update discusses the story, and it was like, "How did you turn this story into uh, from from a murder on the loose to like writing a uh, Puritan article about how massage parlors exist?" <laughs> it was it was very funny because Vincenzo basically like calls him out for victim blaming. He's like, "Did you just write a story about how it's these women's fault?" <laughs> Yeah, it's it's funny. I haven't quite um, decided. At least after two episodes, which you know, obviously we'll speak about another one now. If he is uh, a really good reporter, or he's just an entertaining reporter, you know. <laughs> yeah, I think it might. I think it might be a little a little column B, but uh, yeah. I'm sure when he turns in a story based on his narration, it's pro- they're probably well written. They're very like exaggeratedly written. But I will say, at the end of this episode, I was surprised at how how fresh this show felt. It felt like a. Um, Obviously, it's from the 70s, and as we said, there's some 70s tropes in this, but I think it's aged better than a lot of things from this time period. I will get, I mean, we'll get into it later, but I will give it this. I, I think the one thing this series has, like, the dialogue works, Kolchak is a great character, and the show is just dripping in style. Like, yeah, in a way that yeah. a lot of these shows don't have any style, this show is just like, is all style all the time. You're absolutely right. I think that's probably uh, maybe some sort of defining feature. Yeah, yeah. Here is the IMDb summary for episode two, The Zombie. Popular folklore would have us believe that there exist in the underworld ruthless men who fear nothing. This story should debunk that myth. An old Haitian woman uses voodoo to resurrect her dead grandson to kill the mobsters who murdered him, as well as those like Kolchak who would interfere with her revenge. The first thing I thought when I saw the description for this episode was, this is going to be a little bit dicey. And I know it's like the 1970s. I don't know. The whole thing about voodoo made me feel like, well, I don't know how they're going to handle this. How, how did you think overall this was like, is is that is that a fair kind of uh, a feel? Yeah, just, I, I mean, it's very much just like an exotic culture. I, I mean, here's the thing. I think if you've seen any zombie movies from like, like the 70s and 80s you've seen how they're handling zombieism in this like this is not that much different than uh weekend of bernie's basically or right. weekend of bernie's 2 where there he's a zombie um that's the level of understanding so yeah i mean i would say culturally it's definitely just like pulling tropes and using them i will say the one thing i was a little surprised by that they're like pretty open about talking about and like not to say that they don't use a lot of stereotypes throughout the episode is they're really talking about Chicago and the racial divide. They're talking about South Side Chicago and how it's just like, that's true. 
while it might not be the most sensitive portrayal, it certainly at least acknowledges racial tensions in Chicago and how the city's divided that way in a way that I'm just like, oh, I'm surprised the show's willing to go there. And like, they even are willing to acknowledge it's not like all black people use voodoo. They're very focused on a Haitian community who uses voodoo. Like, it's like a weird walking line where it's like quite clearly just like using using this as a plot point and like, you know, there's no other black characters. There's like a lot of reasons why this is probably like is not great. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also I was also watching me like it's could have been worse than it was. Although that, that, there was. Okay. A- that was kind of the confirmation. Maybe I'm looking for. I felt the same way, but I wasn't sure if it was just me. I was like, it wasn't great, but it wasn't as bad as it could have been. Like we've seen stuff that's way more. Uh, makes you feel uncomfortable watching it. This was just yeah. one of those where I was like, oh, they're walking a tightrope. I don't know how successful it's being, but it's it's not that bad. I will <laughs> just, say that's the, the, that's the warning for everyone. It's not that bad. I, yeah, it's not that great, but it could be worse, I yeah. guess, is yeah. the idea. Yeah. Although the, the Italian stereotype gangster really <laughs> throws around some racial slurs that are very, I've never heard them before, and they're very weird. <laughs> yeah. I was just like, oh my god, this is a lot of racial slurs, and also racial slurs I have never heard before. Yeah, they've just they they haven't aged. No one remembers what they mean. But anyways, we open on a warehouse. We get I actually really like the foley work here. We get a sound of uh, some shoes walking, and they sound like real nice, expensive leather shoes. You know. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. They're the low level bookies who work for the syndicate. They work out of like the back of this uh, like like uh, container for uh, that goes on the back of a, a like a. It's like a shipping container. I actually thought it was really cool. What you have is it's a warehouse full of different shipping containers. And they have apparently, I guess, because probably for mobility issues, the mob is running sort of like a low-level accounting kind of thing. Yeah, I think it's like a bookie. It's it's a numbers racket. So they like take bats. They do that stuff. And this is a great way for them to destroy it quickly if they need to. So these guys, there's about three guys, I think, in this. There's one guy who seems to be doing most of the work. The The other two are kind of like hoods they're kind of just like guys with guns bodyguard type things and they hear someone coming and the place starts shaking and the door starts going and what i like is the first thing they do is they start shredding all the receipts that they have mm. but they're they're really tiny little receipts and it made me laugh because they have to they're sticking all these little tiny uh receipts in in the shredder and then the door breaks open and what i what's interesting is their first response is just they just start firing like but they don't know what's what's open in the door they knew they know somebody's smashing that door open they don't want to be caught with all these all these uh bedding receipts but it did seem to be the appropriate response though because they get attacked right away by again similar to the first episode sort of an unseen attacker they shoot it in a way where you can't quite tell what's happening you just know that this is a large figure it's a very powerful figure and i think they give the impression that they're sort of like almost broken in half like this person just shatters their body well that that'll become the like running thing it's like one of these one of these hoods gets his back broken by by this assailant and kolchak is left to write up the story about this dead former boxer who worked for the syndicate who was killed Mm -hmm. um over at the old ins uh newspaper and uh, while he's doing that we get to meet their their new intern monique marmelstein and she's another, unfortunately for this show, there's been two, I'm going to say major female characters. They're not really, they're more sort of the only one-offs, but yes, yeah. they got more feet time. Yeah. time. And if the show has a real slight against it, and there's a few, uh, one would be the writing of the female characters. They're almost, yeah. they're written to be annoyances and obstacles in the way for your cool character to just get what he needs to get done. And I will say the funny part is too, because they, they're written that way. And then when you watch the scenes with them, I was just like, I'm actually kind of want to spend more time with, like, when she's handing out the mail at the office, and just, like, 
throws the mail down the desk. So I'm like, yeah, fuck this job. I get you. So, yeah, so she is, you probably caught it, but her dad, I think, is someone important. So she's sort of one of the, like an intern that's kind of thrust upon you because she's, of who, because of who her dad is. Yeah, she's the niece of the owner of INS. Right. So she's there because she went to she went to school for journalism. He wanted to put her somewhere. And uh, Vincenzo really wants to pair her with Kolchak to show her the ropes. As she says, she's just like, listen, I know all the scuttle, but what people are saying about me around the office. But she swears uh, her getting this job is not nespotism. Oh, did she say nespotism? nespotism oh, did she? I didn't I didn't even catch that. She keeps calling it nespotism. Oh. And Kolchak's like, do you mean nepotism? And she's like, huh? It definitely is nepotism. I'm not saying I'm not saying she hasn't worked for anything, but. The only reason she's there is because of her uncle. Like, come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And anyway, Kolchak's convinced to take her on an assignment when he's basically, uh, Vincenzo offers like him an exclusive to take her out on in the field. And uh, that exclusive is a police raid of a syndicate affiliated Apple Farm and Cider Works. <laughs> Wasn't that odd? What an odd thing, huh? <laughs> it was very funny. I know, because they were, they were like, we're going to go to this farm. I was like, why and there isn't any real reason like we're gonna see a stuff in a barn or say but there is no reason other than it's just different it's just different to go to a farm they needed they needed a place to do a big like a big shootout so uh, this was available <laughs> but i have to say pretty good so 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 far in two episodes we've seen the ripper was at an old creepy house there was also mm-hmm. a fight at like um a construction site in an alley and now we're getting like a farm and we also saw uh, uh, this this weird warehouse like there to your point earlier this show doesn't seem like it's lacking in a budget or if it is you can't tell by the variety of the locations that they're using well I'll say this too and I think this relates back to the TV movies is because the first one was in Las Vegas and I thought it was really the location played a big part of the movie because while it's in Las Vegas very little of it takes place on the strip it's it's out in like the boonies of Vegas and they're driving right. around the streets of Vegas. So like they really use the city to the most effect. And then the sequel that was in San Francisco, the climax of it takes place in a thing I didn't know existed. But apparently at some point, San Francisco rebuilt on top of old San Francisco. So underground is a whole other San Francisco. No. Oh. Hmm. And I don't know how much like apparently you can do tours of them like this exists. And I don't know how much of the show like utilize the actual existing places but a large portion of the climax of the second movie is in this huge underground multi-story san francisco that was buried under modern san francisco Hmm. so like the show is like has a really great sense of like using a location or at least trying to find like interesting places to go to for these sequences and yeah i I agree i'm like i'm like they went to this weird side of works i'm like what's happening here but it's like it's kind of like it's just different and it's nice you're in a different new location you just think of some of these shows we've seen this time period where it just seems like at a certain point you're like are you guys at the same roadside stop like it's like you just don't get that feeling in this show like you get a sense of the world very quickly yeah it feels like you're at you're somewhere it feels Mm -hmm. like you're in a location for sure they arrive at this, uh, so Kolchak and Monique pull up to this uh, to this farm just as they, the shootout breaks up between the cops and the Russo brothers inside, which I thought was great. They pull up and Monique turns out to be like absolutely fearless. She hops out of the car with her camera and she's just like, gra- she's like Kolchak. She's grabbing shots. Bullets are flying everywhere. The cops are screaming to get her out of there kind of thing. And then Kolchak like calls her over and he's like, he's like, get in the trunk of my car and I'll drive us closer so you can get better shots. And then he just locks her in the trunk of the car. And then yeah. she's just gone for the next 20 minutes. It was a weird thing because they introduced the character as a hindrance for him or as an annoyance, which is like, sure. But then they just get her out of it. And it's like, well, why even have her then? Well, that's because the thing. Like, she'll, she'll be locked in that trunk. 
we won't see her for a while. At some point, she'll, like Kolchak will get a call and get in trouble for doing that. Mm-hmm. And then near the end of the episode, she gets sent back out with him. And then she just like sees a dead body. And she it's not even like she like panics. She just freezes for a second seeing her first dead body. Kolchak puts her in a cab and sends her to Brooklyn. And that's the last we see of that character. Yeah, it was a weird thing to add because I thought it first what we were going to do is they were going to be introducing a, if not a series regular, someone that's going to show up throughout the show. And maybe she still will. But it was like this. It was entirely unnecessary because they didn't do anything with it. It was like either have her be that partner and have that thing we've seen a million times, but we've seen it a million times because it works, which is two partners who are opposite. You know, he's old. She's young. He's experienced. She's not. But they just—they're both jerks. They're both jerks. But they just—or, or you know—they learn. They there's, they have more in common than they thought originally. It's like again, we've seen it before, but they just don't want to do anything with it. It's really surprising. It was a huge misstep for me in this episode because when I saw it, I'm just like, you know, what is actually a great idea is to partner him with this young upstart who is like a little nepotism and like they don't get along because obviously Kolchak would always hold that against her. And it would have been a really great way to get insight into Kolchak's character to give him a little arc in this episode. And they set it up right up top. They're like, here you go. This is an easy episode to write of the two of them running around. She wouldn't be that much of a hindrance because she just like is she doesn't need to be a major character. She just needs to be there either getting into trouble or getting Kolchak mm-hmm. out of trouble. But they don't use her like this thing in the trunk and then in a cab 40 minutes later and she's out of the episode. I'm just like, why did you put her in this at all? Yeah, I thought it was kind of surprising for a show that I think executes most things quite well. It was surprising how how just not yeah, well executed that was. As I was writing about my notes, I was like, this is such a botched concept because it was just like the show. I actually think the episode would have been better if she had been with him the whole time. I agree. I think you would have had a better episode. Yeah, not that I it's agree. necessarily a terrible episode, but it just would have been way more interesting. Yeah. So anyways, they have a firing. We find uh, the press shows up at a certain point after the shoot up and the, and the cops, uh, you get a real sense in this episode. The cops are, you're not supposed to be terribly supportive of them. They, they might be, um, yeah, this, this show's anti-cop. Yeah, so the, the cops are being cagey at best about giving information. They, yeah, they won't show anybody the bodies of because the, the the Rooster Brothers are killed in the shootout. They won't. The cops won't show the bodies, and Kolchak has to go visit Gordy the Ghoul Spangler at the morgue. Yeah, again, the show does a great job of like uh, making this world bigger and having these new characters. And you're like, so this is this is a guy like his informant essentially, or his guy on the inside who works at the morgue, who basically will give him information for cash and it yeah. and it's and it's a funny scene because every time he wants more information the guy's like give me cash and he has to keep giving him more and more cash and i i just was like i like it i like that character well and it's too, it's fun too because they establish even more to his character in that the idea is like he's not taking straight bribes what he does is he runs a lottery out of the morgue in which place where you can bet on the birthdays of the people who are coming into the morgue that week. it's That's how he, like, kind of, like, so it's not a straight bribe. He kind of runs this, like, little, his own little numbers game out of the morgue. So Kolchak's always, like, he's like, and what dates do you want? And Kolchak doesn't care. He's just like, I don't, I don't, just tell me. Here's the money. And he's just, Kolchak's constantly having to, like, point at a calendar to pick days. I thought it was, again, an interesting thing. And, and uh, they're given, they give more to this character than they do to her old, uh, I can't remember her name now. It's uh, Monique. Monique, yeah, yeah. Monique Marmalstein. It is. It is. That's what's so funny. It's like there, there are these sequences. But anyway, Gordy is a fun character. He he basically fills in Kolchak that he doesn't know much about the Russo brothers who were killed because the police are keeping it under wraps. But what he does know is that Boxer, who we saw at the beginning, had his back snapped. And then he was related to the syndicate. 
and that when they raided the syndicate farm after they killed them, they found like 20 or 30 bodies on the premises. So the syndicate was clearly killing people and burying them there. But one of the bodies they found was from a uh, black numbers runner from the South Side named Francis Edmonds. And what's weird about that is Francis Edmonds had actually been killed by the syndicate last week. And like Gordy had already seen him. He'd already come through the morgue. They'd already done an autopsy on him. And it was just so weird that the body came back a week later having been found on this farm. He had chicken blood in his ears. And it was just kind of like, what is the syndicate up to? Why would they dig up this guy they killed last week and then bring him here? And like Gordy has some some like theories because he's also a numbers runner. He's just like, sometimes when you get caught by the cops, you have to eat all your bedding slips to hide them. So maybe they dug up his body to try to get the bedding slips out of his stomach or something. Like They're throwing all these theories around yeah. as to why the body would be at the farm. But uh, since it's an episode called The Zombie, we know why he's there. But it, it is really, it's setting up what this episode is going to be. This is the mystery. How is this guy who was already dead shown up dead again? Is basically Yes, what it is. exactly. And Kolchak uh, decides to look into this Francois who uh, showed up at this farm. And he, he basically goes to the south side. He's asking around, trying to, like, place a bet and, like, throwing Francois's name around at the, at the, in, the, uh, in the community there trying to, trying to get that. And he gets sent to see a, a Haitian man who will be the only who, – who's, everyone's just like, go see this Haitian guy. He's the only one who will, like, help you. Just got to buy a lucky number off of him. Played by? A crazy, right? A brief, very brief appearance by Scatman Carruthers. Yeah. Great actor. I think mostly known for The Shining and uh, uh, One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest is where I know him best from. And he has to do a sort of Haitian yeah. facsimile of a accent. <laughs> so Kolchak goes there and he's trying to like pepper him for information about Francois. But as he's doing that, um, before he gets any information, a, a another gentleman pops in. I believe his name is uh, Brett. Uh, uh, Bernard, perhaps I didn't write down. His, his name is Sweet Stick Whedon. Is basically yeah, he, yeah his nickname he goes is Sweet by Stick, Sweet yeah. Stick. And basically, uh, Sweet Stick is um, quote Duke of the Southside Numbers fiefdom, which is uh, is a ter- is a is a a, a thing that uh, I guess Kolchak came up for him when he wrote an article about uh, organized crime on the South Side, and uh, Sweet Stick did not appreciate the uh, the moniker. <laughs> yeah, and and what you get is you get a sense right off the bat that there's two major essentially organized crimes that are conflicting and fighting over. I don't know if it's fighting over an area or they just fight over Chicago and it's the syndicate and the black numbers operations. And, and sweet stick is sort of in charge of the black numbers operations. And he's a very sharp dresser. Yes. Very sharp dresser. And uh, he basically arrives to tell Kolchak, it's like, stop asking around about Francois. I've heard what you're trying to do and uh, leave this story alone. Like we're, we don't want to have any more of it. And of course, he gets tossed out. He gets thrown out uh, on his keister out in the street. But that doesn't stop Kolchak. He goes to meet an informant he knows named The Monk. Maybe I'm going to feel different as it gone. I didn't think this worked at all. And they go back twice. And it seemed like the most obvious way to fill in a hole, like a plot hole. That's or all it is. In an issue. But it's like, so what it is, is you get the same shot twice in this episode, which is uh, it's sort of a back alley up a um, fire escape. And there's a man wearing a cloak. And Kolchak goes to him and over voiceover gets in the information that he needs that'll essentially lead him to the next step. But I was like, what? Like, are you yeah. guys serious? Like, this is how you're doing it? And it and they do it twice. But it's like, I guess it's interesting that he's this mysterious informant. But I'm like, you guys have to build that up in some way or give me more than just, yeah, there's a guy who gives me answers sometimes. Anyways, I have the answer now. It's like, come on, yeah, you're it, better it than that. very much a pothole filler more than anything. <laughs> it just seems so unnecessary for a show that is well written you don't need to be that clumsy you know 
at, at any rate, he, this this monk points Kolchak toward a meeting between Sweetstick and the and the boss of this syndicate who they're meeting at a parking garage that night. So Kolchak sneaks in there, sets up his tape recorder, and basically gets to hear hear the meeting, which is basically the syndicate is accusing Sweetstick of breaking the backs of their men and what they feel like is he's coming after their territory, basically. Of course, Sweet Six is like, I'm not doing any of that. I'm not paying you reparations for anything. Uh, goodbye. Yeah, yeah. It's at this point that, like, nothing's solved there. But as as uh, the syndicate's getting ready to leave, Kolchak somehow pushes play on the tape recorder he was using. So it makes a noise. And so that Kolchak can just get caught. It's a really weak piece of, of yeah, theater it's, to get. It, it's similar to the in the previous episode where he just screams and falls out of the closet. It's the same thing where they're just like, we need him to get caught. So here's a reason. And the reason is, for whatever reason, at that exact moment, he's like, I want to make sure this recording works. It's like, he wouldn't do that. It's already done. Go check that at the it's, office. But they it's need a, something. I mean, I won't, it's not that I'm not saying that Kolchak isn't incompetent at times and a bit of a slapstick fool. But like this one just didn't work. Like it didn't play. It was just like it felt like such like a lazy reason to get him caught. Yeah. But so what it is, is he gets caught. He gets brought up to uh, the big like Italian the big Italian boss stereotype. Guy. Yeah. And, and basically th- th- he's like, Oh, I guess we'll just kill him. And so he has to try to talk his way out of it. And what he basically says is he gives him his theory, which is that Francois Edmonds, right? Is that his name? Yes. Francois Edmonds is that like, here's a guy you've already killed. You know this. So uh, why don't we do this? If we dig up his grave and his body's not there, you let me go. Cause that's, you know, I have this. Yeah. 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 I, I've proved this is the guy who's breaking the backs yeah. of your men. It's not it's not sweet stick. I, I like it's this guy, and I'll prove it by we'll dig go dig up his grave. And it's great. They they cut to it, and Goldjack's being forced to dig up a grave, which yeah. is very funny. There's, and there's something funny though I liked here, and it was a, a a bit of a callback to this weird character we meet a couple scenes previously, which is they were in a cemetery earlier, and there's a groundskeeper who was just being like a little bit annoying about like union rules. <laughs> and yeah, yeah, just, he was very obsessed with union rules. You can't yeah. do things without union approval. Yeah, so you're just like, oh, that's an odd throwaway line. But then later. So Kolchak's digging up the grave and this guy comes back, this groundskeeper, and he's like, hey, you guys can't uh, can't dig here at night. And then hard cut to the mob has made him also dig the grave. And I was like, yeah, oh, that's no. pretty funny. That was it, was, it was a cute bit. I mean, the character was only there for that bit, but it worked. It was very funny yeah. being like, you can't do that. It's against union rules. Cut. He's digging his own. He's digging the grave too. Yeah. At any rate, they dig up the grave. They open the coffin. It's completely empty except for a chicken. And uh, it's at this <laughs> which was it just was so also because it's so dark. I don't think that reveal played that well because I was like, no, I know. What right? was it? A broom? What it was? Oh, it's a chicken. OK. Yeah. 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 Uh, and the mafia is like, oh, his body is gone. At which point uh, the zombie of Francois lumbers out of the fog, grabs another goon and snaps its back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's very it's like a, not a great shot sequence, but like the goon gets his back snapped. The other mafia guys run away. Kolchak, for some reason, is now stuck in the grave with the dead body laying over top of him. And then you hard cut and Kolchak's at a police station. Apparently, the police showed up immediately afterward. Kolchak was uh, arrested for, I believe it's grave desecration and suspected theft of a corpse. Yeah, that's right. And Vincenzo has to bail him out again. Oh, I think, by the way, I, th- I think the reason he's uh, uh, he can't get out of the grave is that they've dug so low to get the right, to the, right. the coffin that he just he can't get back out. He can't get back out. Although that grave digger is missing for some reason. So I don't know what happened. Yeah, he probably got killed, too. <laughs> um, but basically what it is, is, is uh, Kolchak is now like he's certain like there's a zombie on the loose and he's able to use his monk friend again to get a hold of get the contact information for uh, the zombie's grandmother. Mm-hmm. And he goes to visit her. 
And uh, she's just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I definitely dug up my grandson's body, but it was just so I could cremate, cremate him in a traditional ceremony. I have nothing to do with any sort of zombieism. Um, and like Kolchak's kind of freaked out by her. She's a bit of a like a quote unquote medicine woman or something. And he she offers to give him a potion to help with his like bad back or something. She also is acting slightly suspicious. Like she seems yeah. almost too confident. So it's giving away that she's saying all the right things, but it, there's something not right. And Kolchak's freaked out by because she when he gets to the door before he even knocks, she's just like, Kolchak, come on in. And and he, so he's very freaked out by her. So he sneaks around back of her house after he meeting with her and, and hides in her her zombie, her zombie shack, her voodoo shack she's got built in the backyard. Yeah, he's basically up in the rafters looking down and he can see that she's doing some sort of uh ceremony. She's got a ritual. Yeah, ritual yeah. of sorts, which is which seems to be um using the blood of a chicken. And, and again, in this in this world, this is some sort of voodoo, uh, yeah. voodoo she's thing got, she's doing. She's got tiny little wooden coffins that that's she's right. gotten somewhere. That's right. And in blood written on them are the names of basically on the zombies hit list. And what she does is she adds Kolchak's name to one of those. She's like, well, Kolchak, you're on the zombies hit list now, too. And Kolchak, cut to Kolchak, eyes bugging out of his head like, oh, yeah, no. Yeah. yeah. It's at this point that uh, a police captain comes down to the newspaper office and he starts threatening the newspaper with uh, all kinds of fire cold violations because he wants he basically is trying to get Kolchak to stop looking into this investigation. And we've seen this cop pop up a few times this episode, but it's in this scene we basically get the reveal that it's just like, oh, this cop has kind of like is so invested in this is because he's apparently in the syndicate's pocket. He's a bit of a crooked cop who helps the syndicate cover stuff up. He probably had something to do with the death of Francois. And he really wants this story dropped. Yeah, he wants the story dropped because he doesn't want to be implicated at all. So he's going to find reasons to get Kolchak off the case. And what he's doing is he's like, basically, he's implying, look, we're going to shut down this entire newspaper through bureaucratic red tape if you guys don't stop. Uh, But Kolchak tells him, he's like, if you want this to stop, you should read this book I'm reading. I figured out a a ritual to stop a zombie. Uh, You you need to equip every cop with rock salt, a needle and thread and some candles. (laughs) And so the what he basically says is what they have to do is catch the guy when he's dormant is what he says. So when he's essentially asleep, mm-hmm. um, uh, pour salt into his mouth, sew the mouth shut, and then I think it was light candles around yeah, him. Yeah, you light white candles around him, and that will, like, break the zombie curse or whatever. Yeah. yeah. And this is essentially to set up, actually, what Kolchak wants to do now, because he knows he's on the zombie's hit list. He's just like, I just got to stop the zombie now. Everything else is out the window. Mm-hmm. And he's just like, I've got an idea. I'll go to the syndicate sucker, supper club where I know the mob boss hangs out and hopefully I can catch the zombie there. Um, but he arrives a little too late. As he gets there, uh, the boss and all his goons have had their back snapped, Bane style, like <laughs> Batman, <laughs> just all, all back snapped. It is funny. He does have one move. It's just grab. Like, I assume he just grabs him by the head and the legs and just bends. Yeah, I think absolutely. He just bends them in half. Yeah. And uh, so Kolchak's too late, but he happens to spot... The zombie boarding a bus, leaving the scene of the crime, which I was just like amazing. Yeah, it was it was weird for a couple of reasons, but I, I didn't. Maybe I just missed the scene. I didn't actually see the zombie get on the bus, I so I didn't know see, what was happening. I don't think you do see it. So you just You're like supposed to... just know that the zombie had changed or a token or whatever it is, and he just gets on the he just gets you just on the bus. Just have to trust Kolchak knows what he's doing because Kolchak like grabs all his gear. And he runs and jumps on the back bumper of the bus and rides on the back bumper of the bus, which I thought was very funny as well. Yeah. So he he rides. The bus goes very slow, by the way. And they arrive at like... Um, uh, Darren McGavin's very old. You can't go too yeah, fast. He's right. So uh, they they arrive at like a, a like a old um, 
like what do you call yard. a scrapyard exactly a scrapyard with a lot of cars which by the way why do uh film and tv use scrapyards so often is there just something there's just something visually interesting about them because it's it's the seat like you know just by me saying scrapyard exactly what this looks like right it's cars piled up it's all kind of rubbly and you gotta go in between cars and it's you know it's yeah, like a yeah, bit of a maze stacked of cars i mean i will say the one thing i did like about how kolchak used the scrapyard like they do this all like very late at night so it's actually very in shadows and there's like there is a, like an element of like weirdness to the scrapyard because they're not shooting it in broad daylight like mm-hmm. it does feel like you're in a bit of a weird maze but Kolchak wanders through the scrapyard because the zombie's gotten off the bus. He eventually finds the zombie resting in an old hearse. And that zombie looks very rotted. I don't know how that zombie got on the bus. <laughs> That's the thing. It's the first time you see the, the, the zombie, and he does look... He looks like he's been dug up. Like, he looks like a dead body. Um, yeah, he looks like he's been dead longer than a week. <laughs> so it is funny, though. It's like, I'm like, did he, he specifically choose a junkyard so that he could find a hearse because it's a car that delivers dead bodies? Is that why he was in the hearse? That is... Early in that early scene where, where Kolchak's explaining how to break the zombie curse, he does say that the zombie can only rest in a place of the dead. So typically they like go back to a – so they usually go back to a graveyard or something like that. And what this is is just like where he's gone is a scrapyard because there's an old hearse, which is a place of the dead. So that's where it can rest. Right. So – so long walk, but whatever. <laughs> well, we get a good scene though, which is um, – so the dead bodies laying in, in this hearse. hearse. And Kolchak has all his stuff. He has his salt and everything ready. And he has to kind of crawl on top of the body, sort of straddle him so he can put the salt in his mouth. And you do get the sense of like, I actually thought the tension was pretty well done. Oh, the the score is amazing. Yeah. A, the lighting's really good. And Darren McGavin is just like, his portrayal of Kolchak is like halfway between coward and just like gung ho moron. So like, he, he's going in there, and he's quite clear he does not want to be crawling over this body, and he hates every second of it, but he just knows he has to do it. So it's like, it's it's a really well-done scene, and I was just like, I'm just like, why aren't there more great scenes like this one? Yeah, when when this show nails it, they really do nail it, and this is a good scene. And I uh, honestly, it's funny, this is a 40-year-old show, and I actually st- still felt the tension of like, oh no, I know what's going to happen. You as a viewer know, the zombie's going to wake up at a certain point. But is he going to be able to get the salt in his mouth and everything? So that's what happens. He pulls out the salt. He starts pouring it in the zombie's mouth. He grabs his um, needle and thread to start to start tying the mouth in. And as soon as he goes for it, the zombie's eyes open. And you're like, uh-oh, game over. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You're just like, uh-oh. And then, like, it's great because the zombie's eyes open. And he is, like, scared as you would. Like, his reaction is it's not like one of these things where someone has a manly scream or anything. Like, he gives the most snivelly little screamy scream like falls out of the back of the hearse and starts running well and there's something that i think the show does well in in both episodes we've seen which is the adversary that they give him is much much more powerful than he is physically in both episodes so you know right off the bat that he can't overcome this person physically so what is his response he's just got to run away because he can't fight this guy 100%. 100%. It is it is it is good. Like I I love his reaction like it feels right for the character. Mm-hmm. Like it is one of these few things where I'm just like when the show works, it really works. Yeah. Um but he, he so basically he's running through this darkly this dimly lit scrapyard and essentially he's able to basically as he's running over cars, there's a I guess from a crane, a steel cable in a loop it just happens to be hanging nearby. He manages to trap the zombie in this steel this like steel loop. So the zombie's now like stuck in it he can't get free because it's like a zombie and it's like 
sort of floating in midair and he's basically able to like grab the candles and complete the ritual to stop the zombie essentially mm-hmm. like it's it's a little muddled partly because it's so dark and partly because it's like like yeah. the last episode yeah kind of you have randomly. to yeah it's weird to say it an episode of a zombie but you have to kind of suspend your disbelief a little bit like that this guy would trip in the exact way to get caught into this yeah. this uh noose as it were and be uh hanging above stuff so that he could light these candles and you're like Okay, that ended really quickly and conveniently, but, you know, we only have a couple minutes left. In some ways, it's like what you wanted in the last episode. It's like we saw him executing a plan that went wrong, and then he had to improvise. Whereas the last episode where he was just like, we have no idea what his plan was, but apparently it went perfectly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. But anyways, he's able to, for all intents and purposes, kill the already undead zombie voodoo guy yeah, he breaks the curse and the zombie is defeated and, and like the last episode we cut back to the newspaper office kolchak's monologuing monologuing the, the wrap-up to the case for us and uh he explains that the zombie damaged his camera so now there is no evidence of police corruption and i was just like wait what was that a thing that was happening i know it kind of got lost somewhere along the episode where that was the like c plot of having that the cop knew what was happening and maybe he didn't mind that the hoods were getting knocked off because it, it helped not yeah. implicate him or something. There was, there was something to that effect that got lost in the edit or in an earlier draft where you're like, Oh, that's not what we were watching that the camera, like if he, if he had any photos, it would have just been of a dead body. Yeah. I was just like, there's, you had no evidence of that. And then he says the grandmother of the zombie was uh, deported to Haitia. I'm like, I guess for unrelated reasons. Like, I'm like, why? <laughs> Yeah, they just, I think they're worried that like, oh, this is going to keep going. Oh, let's get rid of this lady. She's off to Haiti. Yeah, the network just like, we got to wrap up all these plots. I'm like, I don't think you did. Cause the, and then after she says that, and after we've already been told the cops are going to get away with corruption, he says, the corrupt police captain was relieved of duty for health reasons. And I'm just like, also unrelated to this plot. <laughs> Yeah, I, again, it was sort of a, um, I think someone else knew he was a corrupt cop but wanted to save face, so they're going to say that. But it's like, what? I think you're just supposed to know there's corruption in the police. That's yeah, basically yeah. what you're supposed to know. And and his final beat, which is actually, this was the, like, the best beat, even though it is kind of this weird thing where he never gets to write any of these stories, which I guess is the point. It's like, if he could prove there were supernatural things, that would change the world. But his, his final plot is he's like, and if you're hearing my story and you don't believe me, why don't you take yourself down to the cemetery and dig up that grave? Uh, what you'll find is a man with salt in his mouth and his uh, mouth sewn shut. But they'll never tell you that on the news. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. it's kind of a nice little beat where he's just like, you don't have to believe me. But if you don't, go dig up that grave. Yeah. yeah. It was a very X-Files-esque kind of uh, end, I thought. Absolutely. But it is kind of funny. It's just like every episode, he just doesn't get to write the story, I guess. Yeah, I know. That's that's what that was my point at the beginning of this. It's like, I guess that's what we're going to have every episode is that he he ends up just having to answer those Dear Emily letters. I mean, I'll give you a little a little final note on this. And it, it I think is one of the weaker points of this episode is you don't get to see the zombie really. And I mean, I get it. Like, it's kind of like the last episode. They're trying to hide the monster till the end. But when you do finally see the zombie, they hired uh, an uh, an American Football League player named Earl the Tree Faison to play this guy, and when you finally see the zombie, he is huge yeah. and insa- like so menacing and so ma- like made up to be a rotting corpse. Like it really works in a way. I was just like, oh man, I could have used more of this this football player because he is great in this role. I think the the what they have to do is they have to play it in the shadows a little bit because if you see the zombie too much, he just it probably won't look quite right. So they're just like you know save it to the end. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I was just like, it was kind of weird where I was like, I understand why they did it. But I, when you finally see him, I was just like, 
I think you could have used more of this because I never got the sense of his scale until the end of that move until the end of the show where I really realized mm. how large this zombie was and truly n- nightmarishly big. And you know what else was missing from the second episode? Updike. Yeah, no Updike. He wasn't here again. I- I'm assuming he'll be back, but maybe not. Maybe he was a one-off. I think so too. I think he's going to be back, but I was kind of like, oh, I thought I was hoping even a couple scenes of this uh, man that we're supposed to just dislike. I, I-, I wanted more scenes with him. Yeah, I could use, I could, I think these first two episodes, which are fine, like I know it's early, the first two episodes of the show, it's just like, I, I kind of like, I'm getting a sense of the world and the style, but now I need to get more of a sense of like, who are the repeating characters? Like, mm. what's the rest of this? Let's build out some more characters in this world kind of thing. Yeah. Well, that that's probably a good point. Do you want to get into rating these? This, uh, this yeah, new absolutely. show? Let's, let's see how we're, how we're starting. How did, what did you, how did you feel about the pilot, The Ripper? I liked it, maybe even more so than it deserved because I was... I went in blind and I was really pleasantly surprised about all the things we've mentioned. I really liked it. I thought it was fun. I thought it was surprisingly fast and uh, modern. I'm going to give it a, a, a seven and a half. I really quite liked it. Seven and a half. Here's the thing is uh, this show is just like has style for days. Like it just feels like a world and there's like a weird style to it. And the dialogue can sparkle at times. And the lead character is so watchable. I, however, have watched the TV movie and the second TV movie. Mm. And the first TV movie is about a zombie on the loose killing women who's basically very similar, like superhuman. He's fighting through cops. He's like, it, it's one of the things that shocked me about the the TV movie that I was like, I was like well, this is amazing. It's just like, they don't necessarily, they hide him, but they don't necessarily hide his power. Like he's punching his way through cops at periods of time where I was like blown away. This was like how they chose to go with this. And then the sequel to it, I, I oh, I should say the end of it all takes place in a rotted out old house, almost identical to the end of the pilot. And then the sequel to the TV movie is basically like, they're like, oh, that worked. People liked it. Here's a lot more money, but it's still the same. This time it's about a guy who has lived forever, who needs to kill women to take some of their organs in order to keep living forever. And it's the exact same plot, exact same movement of a thing. And it's just kind of a remake of the original movie with more money. So I wasn't shocked to see that the pilot is essentially a remake of the first two movies. The problem is, it's just like, it's the worst of the three because like mm. the plot doesn't quite line up. Like why is that whole ending go that way? Like it just, it felt like they had told the story too many times to kind mm. of had run out of moves to make with it. So I like, because I watched the first two, I felt a little more like, I like, I like still like the character. I think I love seeing it in Chicago. I thought the style was still there, but I was also just like, this is the worst. This is the worst version of this version right. of this thing that I've seen a few times. So I'm a little torn on it. Uh, I actually am, I'm going to go, I'm going to give it a six. I think it's a right. five, but I like the world. So I'm going to give it a six. I, I, it just doesn't help that I saw those first two. Mm. So I think it's, I, I, I'm punishing it a little for that. But I think coming in fresh, it was probably a little fresher for you. But it's just yeah. too bad. I'm just like, th- I've seen this story told twice before better. Right. Fair enough. Well, so what do you think about uh, the zombie, the second episode? I, I again, I, I like this show. I like the characters. The zombie is almost an identical plot to the pilot. Like it's yeah. a supernatural being of superpowers, which is cool on a rampage. And they, they switch it up a little by now he's is a revenge plot getting back at the syndicate, which gave me some extra information and stuff. But it, it, because we watch these back to back, I'm just like, I'm I, this is still the same episode. And it doesn't like when it clicks, like when, when they're in that, when he's pouring the stuff and doing the ritual, it's so good. It's such a good show. And then there's just like periods where just like, I'm like, you guys, like, why is Monique in this episode? Like, why didn't you use mm. her 
like it's such an easy win. That was such an easy win for you, and you totally you totally flunked it. So again, I feel very similar. So I think I'm just gonna give it a five point five, like mm. just because it because I just saw everything. I guess I'm yeah. just gonna go down. Well, half a point. I, I agree with you on all that. I mean, the, the, I think the slight difference is that I've only watched two episodes. I did feel like, oh, I hope in the third episode there is a we find a different type of villain. So there's a, we find a different aspect to Kolchak's personality in terms of how he, he ends up winning. It's not going to be just through a like uh, um, a home alone type apparatus, yeah. you know, yeah. but, um, but I, I still did like it. I didn't think it was as good as the pilot weirdly for me. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to only drop down a little bit. Uh, I think this could have been way more offensive than it was what it was. And I, I know that's a, <laughs> a weird a weird compliment to give, but it could have been much worse. And we've seen these things uh, done much less sensitively. So I'm going to give it a six and a half out of 10. I still like the show and I'm really hoping that the episodes get better and that they grow, you know, here's the, I like the show too. And I just, I'm like, I hope the next few episodes just like travel to some new plot. Like the, honestly, I would say the only issue the show has is that the plots aren't fair are kind of like middling. Mm-hmm. Like, Everything else is really firing. Just like the the actual plots themselves, just were like good setups that they just never quite coalesced into anything, or didn't get as good as they could have gotten. It was just weird. I'm just like, it's so weird to watch a show for us and be like, everything's really working except uh, these plots are kind of like they could be better. Well, the next episode, I'm just looking ahead. Uh, it's about a powerful invisible entity. So I don't know if that's going to change anything. <laughs> Everything is just some invisible, some sort of powerful entity he has to fight. Yeah. So, well, I guess we'll find out. I'm hopeful for a couple episodes. We sometimes we start these shows and you watch the first couple and you're like, oh no, this is going to be a slog. I don't, I don't feel that way. You know, this show may get worse and it may get as you know, you've sort of feeling is that it's sort of running over the same ground. I think that might be its greatest sin, but I'm still hopeful that uh, it's going to kind of surprise us along the way. Yeah, it feels like the talent is involved to really push this somewhere interesting. I'm hoping that maybe, hoping that maybe just like they had to do these villain of the weeks because that was the case of mm-hmm. what you needed to do at the time. And maybe, maybe a few episodes in, they'll start breaking that formula a little because they're like run out of villains of the week to do interestingly. Mm-hmm. Um, and we might get, because like, I feel like there's a lot of potential. So I'm hoping we'll see more from the show. So. I agree. Well, we'll, we'll have to see in uh, subsequent episodes. All right. Well, uh, in the meantime, on Instagram and Twitter, you can find some clips from the show. Uh, there's a, there's some fun stuff in the show, so we'll definitely have some good clips. There's there's uh, zo- zombies with salt in your mouth. You got uh, uh, guys jumping off and killing women with swords. <laughs> all the all the hits. <laughs> yeah. Um, and of course, uh, you can email us at continuumdrag at gmail.com if you have any thoughts or feelings to send us. I don't know why. Maybe you will. Um, And uh, that about wraps it up. So, Mm -hmm. uh, listener, thank you for joining us. And Jordan, I'll see you next week. See you then. Continuum Drag is recorded in Toronto, Ontario. Theme music by James Rex Seedler. Produced by Jordan Dulloch and Luke Black. Special thanks to Aaron Hughes.